Welcome to Bar Dive, a podcast about the people who love working in bars and what they're doing to navigate the new service frontier. I'm your host, Kayla Anshell. Last episode, we spoke with Dion, a bar manager and bartender from Denver who started a YouTube channel called Barkeep's Choice, where he shows viewers how to make their own cocktails at home. A silver lining from the service industry being turned upside down is that it's given those who work in it more time to explore creative pursuits that they might not have otherwise. A common thread with people I've interviewed on Bar Dive is this entrepreneurial spirit and desire to make things work on their own terms. Camille with her cocktail kits, Ashley and her community of agave enthusiasts, Dion and his videos that connect with people remotely. And I have to include myself in here too, a bartender and writer turned podcaster. Can't say I saw that one coming. The other common thread is that so far, all our guests are based in big cities, such as San Francisco, Miami, and Seattle. But even though the coronavirus is something that's affecting all of us, the experiences we have state to state and even city to city tend to be very different. On this episode of Bar Dive, we talk with Spencer from Brevard, North Carolina. Bartender and radio DJ are just a couple of the many jobs he currently holds, and years of working this way in a small town may have given him an advantage during all this uncertainty. How did you get started in the service industry? Well, I moved to Brevard, North Carolina to go to college at Brevard College here in town, and it's a pretty small town, so there weren't many places to go. So I uh, started going to this local pub, and I ended up racking up a pretty considerable debt bar tab that I could not pay. And so I started washing dishes for this local restaurant and then paid it off, and then I went and did it again. So by the second (laughs) time I was um, paying off my debt to the restaurant, I think the owner liked me pretty well, despite what I had done, and uh, decided that he wanted to go ahead and put me on payroll. And so from there, I was a dishwasher. That's pretty nice of them. Instead of, you know, calling the police, they're like, okay, you get in the dish pit and and work off your tab. (laughs) They were really nice people. It was the way it worked at that time. I mean, eventually working there, I got to see the full list of people that owed the uh, the bar money. And uh, I wasn't the worst offender, fortunately. I think I was just one of the few foolish enough to come in and actually pay it through means of work. (laughs) You know, everyone that I've talked to so far, myself included, has worked in a big city. I'm just curious what the bar and restaurant scene is like in in Brevard, North Carolina. Pretty minimal. Brevard has a population of about 33,000, or Transylvania County, where Brevard is, about 33,000. So there's, as you can imagine, not all that many options for bars and restaurants. Um, There's a nice little downtown center, and most of them are located there. There's a few fast food places that surround it, but mostly the restaurants are, and bars are located in the downtown area. Yeah, the, the population of 33,000 grows considerably in the summer because Brevard is a tourist destination. There's a lot of summer camps in the area, and there's a lot of tourism as well because Pisgah National Forest is right on our back door. And so a lot of people will come in town to camp or kayak or recreate out in the National Forest there. So do you have like a sizable amount of regulars? Uh, yeah, but most of the regulars are people that, that live in town. Some of them are people that come back from Charlotte or Atlanta. And you start to recognize some faces as kind of weekend warriors eventually. Mountain biking is going to be a huge industry here. 
So some of the regulars that I got to know early on that were coming in from out of town were probably mountain bikers. The last time that we spoke, you kind of told me about working at this place where there was live music. And one of the things that I was most surprised during that conversation was that there have been some pretty big music names that have come through Brevard, like Steve Martin and the Steep Canyon Rangers. And I was just wondering, what do you think it is about Brevard that has made it kind of like a music scene? Well, um, there's this great song by Greg Brown called Boomtown. And he talks about how artists need spaces. And so a lot of times artists kind of are uh, a typical pattern is artists come from cities and they need a little bit of space to create and be inspired. And I think that that's kind of what Brevard was, or maybe still is. A lot of people, you know, were living in the city and then wanted to get away. And Brevard is this nice little removed paradise. And so music has kind of come to Brevard. But that said, there are a lot, a lot of musicians who kind of just come from the ground here. Music is a big part of Western North Carolina. And uh, I've been proud to kind of be a part of it and watch it grow. And you were mentioning the Steep Canyon Rangers. When I was first watching them, they were performing in the corner of the bar where I was working, a bar restaurant where I was working. And they were playing, I think, pretty much in exchange for free rent. And then now they've won a Grammy and they're paired up with uh, people like Steve Martin and Martin Short. They have that thing on Netflix that you can watch. But um, yeah, they've, they've had a very big run, but there are also some other big names in music, like uh, Jeff Seip uh, lives in town. He's a great drummer who's played with a lot of people. And so this restaurant where I was working at was where I first really became exposed to all that. There would be live music on the weekends, on Fridays and Saturdays, or actually throughout the week. But then the bigger bands would come in on Friday and Saturday. And so some of these musicians would bring in their friends. So I got to see people like Johnny Neal, who's a great keyboardist who played with some different Southern rock bands and has a great long career history as well. And Ike Stubblefield, who started with Ike and Tina Turner, he played at this little restaurant where I was working. So it kind of just formed around me, you know, while I was here. And I was lucky enough to be on the, the front side of that wave as it came to Brevard. That's so cool. How old were you when that was happening? Oh, right there, you know, 21. Oh, so you were like the perfect age for that kind of stuff. Oh, my eyes were wide open. I, I couldn't believe it. Just the quality of music. I'm from Spartanburg, South Carolina, originally, and I didn't expect it. And when it was there, it was just eye-opening. It was like, wow, wow. And so I wanted to watch as much music as I could. Unfortunately, it was right there in a small but packed um, bar restaurant where I worked. So when there were these big names, pretty much everybody from town would come in to the restaurant that became this huge social scene where it was all different types of ages and people who were gathering there to watch these great musicians that were coming in. Do you have a show in particular that kind of stands out in your memory? Wow, there's so many. Uh, the one with Johnny Neal was really, really memorable. And uh, all the ones with Jeff Sype. And he was with a band called Kai Zen, which was the side project for him. He was playing with people like um, Colonel Bruce Hampton and Aquarium Rescue Unit and Jimmy Herring and just all these, these great other musicians. So when I kind of realized who Jeff Sype was, and not just this great drummer who was in the corner, got to understand the history of some of these musicians a little bit more. Just they were all kind of legendary. Wow, that's such a cool experience to be able to uh, bartend and serve in that setting. It was a party. It was a lot of fun. There were some really golden years, and I was fortunate enough to be there for them. And I'm sure that everybody who lived in Brevard and went through it feels the same way. And in fact, I have a lot of conversations with people who I knew as regulars or who still live in town that you know, talk about the good old days. What are you doing for work now? Uh, a lot of different things. For bartending, I'm working for Oscar Blues Brewery, which has a uh, 
tap room and a brew house in Brevard that serves the brew house serves all of the East Coast, and then the tap room gets a lot of customers every single day. So for bartending, that's what I'm doing. And I was also doing music booking for them before the whole COVID pandemic hit and stopped live music. But I also work for a radio station in Western North Carolina where I do marketing and sales. And I also am a programmer there. So I'm a DJ and play music and talk about it live on air. So you have quite a few things going for you right now during pandemic times. Yes. And that was kind of by design. Um, When I was first starting off doing the serving and the bartending, um, given the seasonality of what Brevard is and that they're, you know, the winter is just pretty much completely dead except for people who live here. And then in the summer, there's this big boom of tourists and people from out of town coming in. It didn't take long to realize that I kind of needed to diversify what I was doing and make sure that I had multiple sources of income in order to stay afloat um, so that I was making money in the, in the hard times or at least, you know, squirreling some away, uh, white squirreling some away in the hard times so that uh, I could make it through the winters. Has there just been something that's kind of kept you in this industry? Absolutely. I think that once you start bartending or once you start serving, if you enjoy it, it's kind of addictive in its own way. It's something that you crave. And so even though I'm working full time with the radio station, bartending really never left my mind. And it's something I still enjoy doing. So it's something I I appreciate getting the chance to continue to do, even though I'm kind of on to a next step. I still really like it. And having the music booking tied into it is another part where it kind of helps my career. I think to, to continue doing that because I get to know more about the local music scene and the musicians and it kind of, they're, they're covalent. They're two strengths and they work together well most of the time. And so you're talking about Steve, Steve Martin and the Steve Canyon Rangers. And I was talking about how I saw them grow out of the corner of the bar. Well, as their career kind of took off, it was kind of coincided with me over at the radio station and the radio station I was working at played the Steve Canyon Rangers a whole lot. So I got to learn more and more. And um, they ended up starting this festival in Brevard, North Carolina, called the Mountain Song Festival, uh, which is the Steep Canyon Rangers are the hosts. And then they invite all these wonderful musicians that are kind of related to the bluegrass field, but but it goes beyond that, too. So people like Sam Bush and uh, Colin Hay, who is the lead singer for Minute Work, has been there. Um, Doc Watson was there while he was still alive. Um, and just so many, many great performances that were there. And I've been fortunate enough to be on stage and MC those. And from there, I got other MC jobs. So I've worked with, uh, I brought Aaron Neville on stage and Talib Kweli one time. And just these huge names that I would never have expected, especially coming from behind the bar. It almost seemed like living a dual life sometimes to be up on stage in front of thousands of people and doing that. And then behind a bar with 20 people. And, you know, it's kind of like shifting gears real fast because I might be doing those like day to day where I'd be up on stage and then behind a bar. So it's, it's been an interesting path that way. So is your dream career something that is a blend of music and being within the bar scene? Hmm. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Being in the bar scene, but maybe not necessarily behind the bar, but um, just bringing really great music to a lot of different venues and whoever I'm working with uh, to, to highlight some of the great musicians that are coming out of Western North Carolina. Definitely. To community spaces, which is something that I have felt about bars um, even before I was working in them, is that there are very few community spaces now in the U.S. where it doesn't matter, you know, who you are, your your income, any of those things. Like, you can just come and have a drink and, and meet other people that are like you or, or not like you. 
Absolutely. And yeah, one of the uh, best ways that I ever heard it described to me was that you're kind of in the business of making memories. Um, that if you're doing your job well, you're you're creating something that people will look back on fondly and creates a positive association for the place that you're working, town that it's in, the people that are there. If you're doing your job well, I think that you're you're making people happy that they were there on many different levels, something that's memorable and to take home and think about and tell others about. Absolutely. I really like that. And, you know, I, I think that even living in a big city like San Francisco, the places that I love most are the neighborhood bars, the places where you know the bartender, you maybe know one or two of the other people sitting at the bar. And yeah, it's nice to go out to a fancy place and have a fancy cocktail from time to time. But there really is, I think, a lot of value in bars as community spaces. Uh, that was the magic of it for me is that there was, uh, everyone was willing to talk to each other. I mean, it was part dive bar, part fine dining restaurant for the first place where I worked. And so it was white tablecloth on the dining room side, serving things like grouper and sea bass and fillets. And then at 10 o'clock, when the music started, it just became total type dive bar with PBR and shots. And um, everybody was congregating and milling around each other. It wasn't like assigned seating. It was just uh, wherever you could find a space to stand while all this funky music was going on. That's where you were. So you kind of just inevitably got to know everybody around you because everybody was having a good time. That's so great. How long has Oscar Blues been reopened for? Well, they never really fully stopped. They were doing uh, to-go gear only um, for a period of time from March until May or something like that. But then I think they started reopening for customers to sit down and have a beer at assigned tables in June. And that was with Governor Cooper's reopening of North Carolina into phase two. Have you had any experiences with people just outright refusing to wear their masks? Maybe not refusing, but not believing that they had to. One of the funniest things that happened recently was that a guy came up and he said, you know, I don't have a mask. And he's like, you telling me I got to have a mask to get in? And I said, uh, yes, sir, you do. And he said, but I'm from Florida. <laughs> That's a hilarious thing to say. You know, it's, <laughs> does he mean that he is just immune by his right from being from Florida or that his state's Laws traveled with him wherever he went. I didn't really know. But after he said that he didn't have a mask, he went back to his car and in 14 seconds had a mask on. So I think that he was just pushing back and telling me a little white lie to try and not wear one to, to make sure that he didn't have to. It's great that he he eventually complied. I um, I'm still waiting for my for the bar that I work at to reopen. I mean, technically they are open, but I don't have any shifts. It's just the owner. I kind of have wondered what's going to happen when she is able to bring us back and what that means. Like, how do you handle it when someone says, no, I'm, I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not really sure what the bartender's role in that is, you know, like, how do you enforce that if someone's just blatantly like, no, I'm not going to do it? Uh, I, you know, I mean, it's a question of supply and demand. I know that for Oscar Blues that, I mean, the general sense has to be like, if you're not <clears throat> willing to play by the state laws, then we don't need your business. And we're not willing to break those to, to have you sit down and have a couple beers. But, um, yeah, that's a good question, uh, for San Francisco. And I just personally have to say, I feel for any of the, the bar owners out there who are having to put on so much more work upon themselves, not only operating and managing a place, but then getting out there and doing the work. I know it's uh, probably like trying to juggle with one too many balls in the air. 
Absolutely. Well, and it's just that if you can't afford to have employees and it's a small enough bar, then of course you're going to hop behind the bar if you have any um, bartending experience and just take on those shifts. But even though I know that she would like to have us back, it's just, it's not in the budget right now. So, um, so here I am podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. Um, yeah. And I hope you get back to work soon and yeah, everybody's waiting for that normal to come back, but it, uh, seems elusive right now, four months into the COVID pandemic. It really does. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, I think we've said a lot of positive things about working in the industry, but what do you think the most challenging for you or you like the least about working in bars? Altogether or in light of the pandemic? Oh gosh, that's a good question for me. I mean, I suppose let's go with pre-pandemic. Okay. Uh, my least favorite part about bartending I suppose when it gets really busy is trying to being unable to make everything special and kind of getting into like a robot kind of routine of things and just going as fast as you can to keep up with the volume. Um, That becomes a little disheartening and it becomes a little impersonal. And so I think customers can feel that it makes the job a little more stressful uh, because when I feel like I'm doing a good job is like I'm connecting with the customers and making those memories. Like I talked, it's a kind of, you know, a principled thing. And then when that's impossible, it gets a little frustrating. The really busy days are the tough ones where you go, I'm just like, wow, I don't know if I could do that again. But um, besides that, it's, it's, you know, a fun job. And I really do appreciate, uh, I'm part people person, part not people person. I appreciate being my alone time just as much as I do being in front of people. So um, that part of it's really fun to me. I kind of want to revisit what we touched on really briefly in the beginning about regulars. I guess I have this like image of of being in a smaller town and and just knowing so many of the people that come into your bar. I mean, I guess if you could put a percentage on it, what percentage of people that come into Oscar Blues are people that you see on on a fairly regular basis? For Oscar Blues, it's a lot more prevalent in the winter that you'll see regulars and locals. And then during the summertime, they kind of know to stay away. It becomes a, a tourist place um, because it can just be so busy and overwhelming that um, there's a few other options and other local places where they know they'll, they'll you know, get a seat right away, which isn't necessarily a guarantee, especially right now with the COVID pandemic. Um, so it kind of goes back and forth seasonally as kind of all things do here in Brevard. And that's a big part of small town bartending and small town service, I'd say, is just knowing, being able to recognize who's regular and who's not. And, uh, you had asked a little bit about trivia earlier. So for my previous job, that was a huge part of getting to know the locals and the regulars and stuff. I was running a trivia game. And so there's not a lot to do in Brevard, especially in the winter, or there wasn't at that time. So um, I started out of just a lack of anything better to do, running a trivia game. And that brought a lot of young people out. And so I got to really know a lot of people. And I think that's kind of how we set up this interview through Tim Murray. He was one of the regulars that came to trivia. Um, He was on a team called Team Speaks and uh, Spencer's Peoples. And so they would come and play. And I got to know that whole team and look back on those years and days really fondly because um, those are, you know, there's great people who choose to to move up here. And I think you kind of have to issue the money of living in a big town in order to come to a small town and try and eke out a living. So everybody kind of has a little bit of a common goal or misguided goal, I suppose, to, to trade off a little bit of earnings for a little bit of ha- happiness, I suppose. And so that it kind of marks the personality type to me. Huh. That's really interesting. I mean, especially right now with everything that's going on, I have found myself craving so much not being in a big city. 
Um, <laughs> I know there's like all these articles right now that are basically people fleeing New York and fleeing whatever. And I'm not necessarily there yet, but I think there is like a, this, this sense of comfort and being out in an open space and also just knowing most of the people around you actually knowing your neighbors. I really love that idea. I wish that it happened a little bit more. Yeah, Spartanburg isn't by any means a Spartanburg, South Carolina, where I'm from, isn't by any means a big city, but Brevard is much, much smaller. And um, I didn't know it, but I really appreciate living in the small town for that. Is uh, It just has a community feel to it that's really, really nice. So you wrote all of the questions and picked all of the topics for trivia then? Yes, and it was totally open format. So I'd do some that would be related to history, some that would be geography, some that would be sports, and tried to make it so that nobody felt excluded. So it went, you know, totally 80s trivia. So that if you weren't good at 80s trivia, you wouldn't want to be there. So 80s would be folded in with everything else. What was the trivia topic that you knew the least about? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, okay. So astronomy. And the reason why I say that really definitively is that in Brevard, North Carolina, it's way away from cities, right? So there's less, less mm, atmospheric haze. So there's this place called Pisgah Astronomical Research Institute, Perry, which started in the early 20th century and was a, uh, actually, an, uh, uh, they have satellites up there. And so there were workers that would come down on the weekend. They would come to the trivia game and I would ask some astronomy question and get like, no, 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 no. And I knew who was saying, I was like, I couldn't stand on what I was saying. I just knew I was wrong. And I would have to, I'd basically just give him the microphone and have him explain explain astronomy. And then at that point, I was like, okay, I'm never going to ask another astronomy question ever again. And I do kind of have a funny story too that relates to being comfortable speaking in front of crowds. And maybe what helped me get uh, into radio as well was that um, as a kid, I was really shy. And, you know, I was never given to public speaking and didn't like any of those things. And so doing trivia on the microphone was something that was kind of new and pretty difficult. I was still really nervous every time I did it. And so this one time I asked this question, um, what body of water saw the beginning of hostilities of the Vietnam War, which in parentheses wasn't actually a war. And so I asked that question, I looked up and there was this homeless guy, which there's not many homeless people in Brevard, but who stood up and he was like, you don't know what you're talking, because the answer that I had and it's given is the Gulf of Tonkin. He was talking about how things started in Cambodia and other places and got really mad at me and was yelling. And I realized that it was me that had the microphone at that point and that I could talk over him. So I said, well, the answer is the Gulf of Tonkin. And I felt pretty horrible for talking over this guy who was a vet, but it helped me realize that if you have the microphone, you have the control of the room. And so that helped me (laughs) become more comfortable with public speaking. And another, another time that kind of helped was I asked a question and there was a fight that was going on, on literally next to my feet. But I was so involved with asking the question that I didn't realize it until I looked up and there was a blood trail that was going past where I was asking my trivia question. And so I looked up after reading the question, all eyes were just huge, focused on me. Like I was like, what did I do? And then I realized that um, it wasn't me, that I had just completely ignored a fight that happened right on top. So I realized, you know, it it helped me get over my fear of public speaking. So, you know, with everything that's going on with coronavirus, most parts of the country, the service industry has been pretty hard hit. Where would you like to see the industry go? I know we don't know what's going to happen, but what would you like to see, I guess, is this next evolution? Hmm, That's a really good question. Um... I mean, back to normal would be great, I think. Uh, was that a rooster? As far as bartending, I was never... I'm sorry? Was that a rooster in the background? 
Yeah, I'm outside. There's, yeah, my neighbor has chickens. So yeah, you might hear roosters and chickens going off at any point. <laughs> I love that so much. I'm, so, I'm sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to point that out because that does not oh, yeah. happen for me. <laughs> Oh no! I get all the all the free eggs that I can eat. It's it's great. And they're yeah, nice and fresh. They they free range around my yard, and my neighbor's yard, and it doesn't even register. So forgive me. Yeah, people get surprised when I'm making you know paying bills on the phone or is that a chicken? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> Yeehaw! Yes, it is, ma'am. Chickens. <laughs> Uh, no, well, I don't have a great answer for your question. <laughs> There's the chicken. I don't have a great answer for your question as far as like what I hope to see happen. Um, I've been in it for a really, really long time. There's kind of peaks and valleys as far as, you know, seasonally what's even available here. So, I mean, as far as what I expect, it's very, very low. I don't have huge expectations other than hoping to make a little bit of money off of it as a side gig for me now. And just hoping that... <laughs> I mean, maybe that, yeah, the customers get it, <laughs> you know, that, that the service part of it is really difficult and presents its own challenge and everybody's trying to put on a smile and do their best job, but it can get challenging when people are bringing an attitude with them. And I would love it if people would be a little bit more tolerant and understanding, especially during those really busy times or when you're, you know, having trouble doing your job as well as you might like to, that they understand that it's, you know, just a job just as much as theirs is and you're struggling to do it just as much as anybody else. Is there anything else that you wish I'd have asked you or that you wanted to add before we wrap things up? Uh, no, just, uh, I mean, I was thinking about that part that if there was a, a something I wanted to really relay about what small town bartending is to me, and it's, it's that part about kind of diversifying what you do, because I think there's a lot of hope in that message too, is that if you are in a small town and it's kind of like me where, you know, you're not guaranteed money throughout the year and you have to make some decisions and your standard of living kind of goes up and down with how many people are around, that I think the, the, the best thing to do is to try and find other other things that you're interested in and other strengths. And so all of that great music that you were talking about that came around when I was, you know, 21 and a little bit older watching that happen really inspired me to get involved with radio. And um, that became a career and I didn't expect it. And I really had to work at it to, to make it a career. When I got on air and started programming live, it sounded horrible. And I still have my recordings of that. Um, but I stuck at it. And just continued doing it. I was volunteering for the radio station and doing a midnight to 4 a.m. shift and volunteering to do that at a place that was an hour away from me. And so fortunately, I got better and got recognized um, just like from going from a bar from a dishwasher to a bartender. So um, I think that's the, that's the key for small town bartending is, is finding other things that you can do to keep money coming in for when one thing dries up, at least you have some other things that you can turn to. I think that that's a really valuable thing that if anybody out there is who's not the big city <laughs> and doesn't have as many options of places to work, you know, because there's a really limited number of places where you can work if you live in a small town, that that's an important thing to keep in mind. Thanks, Spencer, for sharing your experience with us. If you'd like to hear more of Spencer, you can listen to him DJ and maybe also discover some new music at wncw.org. I'm your host, Kayla Anchel. Sound engineering for this episode of Bar Dive was done by Jason Sosoyev. Special thanks to Marisa De La Fuente and Tim Murray. If you're someone that works in the bar service industry and would like to speak about your experience, we'd love to hear from you. 
send us an email at bardivepodcast at gmail.com. And for photos and quotes from our guests, be sure to check out our Instagram and Facebook pages at bardivepodcast. One last thing before we go, here's Spencer again with a trivia question. All right, so I live in Brevard, North Carolina, and it has a very particular type of animal in the family Sciuridae that it's known for and tourists come to see. What animal Brevard, North Carolina is known for? And the answer is white squirrel. Some people thought it was brought in by a traveling circus and the white squirrel is kind of genetically dominant too. So there's more and more white squirrels appearing in Brevard, North Carolina. 